Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my truly amazing guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights to help you take your life and your business to the next level. This show is ranked in the top 2% globally, and I'm so proud of that. And it is, again, because of all my guests. And they make this podcast a must-listen. So whether you're tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. And on today's show, I am joined by Margie Olson, who joins us to share her journey from navigating chaos, I need to know more about that, to a passion for structure. And with decades of corporate experience and a doctorate in organization development, Margie brings vast knowledge across industries like aerospace, fintech, retail, manufacturing, agriculture, financial services, and healthcare. And she supported leaders in Target, Cargill, Ameriprise Financial, and many, many more. And Margie specializes in transforming senior leaders into cohesive, high-performing teams, which of course is going to enhance their overall team performance. Margie, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Denise. Glad to be here. You mentioned something in the green room just now when we did our pre-interview, and I always do a pre-interview for these shows, and you said it was a couple months ago, and I kind of flinched. It's like, oh, geez. In a way, it's good that we're booked so far out. In other ways, it's like, yeah, but I wanted to do it when it was fresh. (laughs) I'm whining a little bit. So, but, (laughs) and you did comfort me in the green room. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So tell people about you. What, how do you show up in the world? Well, I have this passion for leaders and their leadership teams and truly the entire organization to feel productive and heading in the same direction and achieving the goals that they want to achieve, even surpassing them. And I spent four decades in corporate America, and that is not what I saw. And no matter which industry I was in or size of company or organization, for-profit, non-profit, government, community, the issues were similar. Leaders struggle with some of the same challenges. And I think they think that that's about as good as it can get that this is complicated, leadership is hard, the world just keeps getting more and more challenging. Of course, they're gonna have challenges and of course it's not going to be ideal. They're doing the best they can. But the truth is, I coming up, growing up in a very chaotic environment where we moved every year and I had a, a firsthand look at all different kinds of leaders and situations and styles. And when I entered the workforce at a very young age, Uh, my leaders really had not been prepared to be leaders any more so than we really are today. And so along the way, I was fascinated by the struggles. And so I chose my education to learn more about teams and leadership the way someone else might be interested in a machine or exploring a piece of art. 
And when I went to earn my doctorate after three decades in corporate America, the first four years of coursework, I learned that we know what we need to know. We know the art and science. We have tried and true principles for how to grow leaders and how to help leaders grow leadership teams that are high performing. And then I wanted to understand, wait, if we know it, where is it? And so I spent my research, my couple of years in my dissertation on that disconnect, what's happening between the information that we know that had been around for decades and a lot of the books and, and experts were talking based on some of those same principles, even if they gave it their own little flair, it's those same principles. So that's the case, what's happening in organizations and it's in the execution. So I made it my um, uh, goal in the next, in the last 10 years to help leaders close that gap Develop for the first time many times in the way that they should and could so that they can be comfortable and grow a, a high performing leadership team to help their organization be far more successful, productive, feel better for everyone within. Well, Margie, what are some of the principles that you're talking about? So, I mean, there has so, to be some that they're just you know, you're kind of indicating that they're carved in stone. They, practically. No, they are. Okay. The only reason they're not carved in stone is we don't talk about them often enough. But when I work with a client, invariably within the first interactions, they say, well, I knew that, or I heard that, or wait, is this all there is? It is. But the way we learn and the way our brain operates prevents us from turning something into long-term behaviors and change if we don't do it in a way that works with that. And the principles are, number one, the so let's take a, a high-performing leadership team. That team needs to be really, really clear what the leader's goals are and priorities. Not the priorities from two years ago, not they have their goals, but then I, as a member of the team, I have my goals too. So number one, is everybody clear what the leader says we're working on and what the current priorities are? And then for each of those leaders, their leadership team, what's their part of that? What would, should they be working on to help the leader achieve those goals? And then if I'm a member of one of those leadership teams, what's my part? How do I show up? What do you need from me? And then how do I, what does that, how does that fit with what the leader is going after for their goals? And do I have what I need? And do the, my leader and my leader's leader, do they think I'm accomplishing what is needed? And when you have those systems in place and metrics to know at any given time how it's going, both behavior and results, then the leader has learned naturally to be a better leader. When they are have clarified their goals and they are clear about their priorities and they have set up processes and systems for the leaders on their leadership team and their own teams to be all rowing in the direction of the leader's goals, that leader then is developing their leadership in the most effective way. But what happens for organizations is number one, people get promoted not because they know any of what I just said and they get promoted even more because they hit a sales metric or they fit within the culture or they're, um, they're very directive, authoritative, and the company appreciates that. And then they secretly 
are not sure how to lead. Leaders are secretly wondering, why am I the only one that struggles? Why do I have to make it up as I go along? Well, most leaders are, because if what you've done is a leadership training for a couple of days or once a week for a year, but you're not really clear with what your goals are and how to get everybody rowing in your direction, you're not actually uh, able to be successful. And I worked for a client who brought me in to just help them with a big change that they were happening. They were rolling out a new product, but within just a few days, I could see that they had all the boats rowing in different directions. They even had a leader, a very um, experienced, uh, knowledgeable leader who was on a performance improvement plan because they were trying to figure out how to move that person out of the organization because they weren't successful. Rather than the leader uh, coming down harder on what a person is supposed to accomplish, they needed systems and processes in place so that everybody was aligned. So we put in place some of my work, the actual alignment, people got clear together. They had ways of having tools and metrics to say, how are we doing? What am I doing? How do you know how I'm doing? And within days, not even weeks, within days, this person was able to sit taller, already start to contribute. They came off the performance improvement plan and the entire transformation had a greater chance for success for the first time in a year and a half, in a year and a half because they were now organized. And see, that is so important. And while you've been talking, I've written this down one, two, four different times, processes and systems. Yes. I also wrote down imposter syndrome. Yes. Yes. And I must be the only one. I must be the only one. We're, the, the vulnerability is becoming a little bit more normal to talk about in organizations, but the truth is most leaders do not talk about this kind. They don't talk about how they feel like a babysitter. They don't talk necessarily open about my team members, my leadership team in this amazing company that people have heard about. My leadership team members don't like each other. They don't talk about, I actually don't really know how to hold people accountable. Nobody taught me or I was taught and I'm doing it, but it's not working. And when they go to the golf course or pickleball or they're at dinner or they're um, on a volunteer committee and they're talking with other leaders, this is not what they're talking about. But if they did, they would find out from those peers that they have the same challenges. And when you get organized and put in a structure and follow the best practices by implementing systems and then working with the brain, rather than trying to push the brain to do to operate differently, when you're working with the brain, people develop habits that turn into changes in the future. So there's a good bit of psychology here. There, which of course, every day we're walking around, we're a walking psychology case. Right. But what happens in organizations is we've developed over decades to leave our humanness at the door. Just follow what I say. As a matter of fact, I'm not even saying it. I sent you an email. How is it that you don't know that I need you to do this? Well, the first thing I teach leaders is 99.9% .9 of what the brain does every day is autopilot. So I'm operating on autopilot so the brain can reserve precious resources for keeping me alive and uh, new opportunities. So when you send me an email and say, Margie, this is what I need from you, I, I may or may not even read the email because you, I've, I have a hundred emails today. And if I read it, my brain is still keeping me alive. That's seven times, seven ways is absolutely a real thing. That gets at the anatomy of the brain and the psychology of how I operate as a human. So many people will 
do a training or bring in HR or outsource to a consultant, better team development or leadership development, but they're not doing it in the way that helps someone actually learn. And so leaders then now they've spent money, now they've hired a consultant, now people know that. So now they don't want to talk about how they still are not sure how to lead. So we come in and set up building blocks in the right order to put those systems and processes in place to learn how to lead and learn how to be a high-performing leadership team many times for the very first time. So this is fascinating, but you just said something that I'm not at all familiar with. It's seven, seven times. Seven times, seven ways. What does that mean? So it's an old marketing adage. If you want someone out in the world to pay attention to you, your product, your service, make sure you give it to them seven times, seven ways. And seven times meaning how many iterations and seven ways meaning which channel. Was it a billboard? Was it an, uh, uh, something in a magazine that they were reading? Was it a meeting that they went to? And how this works for the anatomy of the brain is, If I hear from my leader that we are going to be moving, so we are going to physically move from our current location to another location, or we're all going to move from partially remote to all in person. If I hear that, my brain goes, yeah, okay, and then goes back to the 99.9% autopilot. So that little tidbit, unless I intentionally lead my brain to say, hey, I want to think about this more, explore it more. Or unless someone says something else to me about it or shows it to me in a different way, my brain has already left the building. My brain is already doing whatever. Okay. So, but then I get invited to a meeting and at the meeting, we talk about many things, but one of the things they talk about is we're actually relocating physically out of this building to another location. And then they tell me that we're going to start to have meetings about that to help everybody prepare. And then I get invited to a town hall where there's a Q&A about it. And then I receive a document that has the information in there that's starting to give me a little bit of a view of what this is going to be like. And now my brain is going, okay, I'm leaning in. I see that this is important. I'm going to take the information that's coming in seven times, seven ways, and I'm going to kick off my processes to commit it to memory. And that's where I, as a person, begin to learn. And imagine a hundred of those a day. Imagine all of the situations that are happening simultaneously in order for the brain to make sense of all of it and commit it to memory. Leaders need to bring it to the individuals in a way that helps them use their processes naturally. And you're saying something very important there because listen, as a solopreneur, you know, solopreneurs are slightly different from entrepreneurs. We tend to have small teams or we do a lot of the work ourselves and we forget to train our brains. I caught myself this week just forgetting all kinds of really important things because I did not take the time to put it in my calendar write it down, which is one way I remember. I use index cards. I love index cards because I can take an index card and put three things on it that are important to do that day, just three, because anything beyond that, I tip over. I just fall over Mm -hmm. and drooling. But I will take that index card once I've crossed it off, crossed it off, crossed it off. Then I'll shred it because it's cathartic. So I have to teach myself to remember how to commit to what it is that I, I need to remember. And it's and tough. I, and we it's get important. busy. Our brains so, are tired. Yeah. 
And what you're doing is leading your brain's processes. You know, we have 60 to 100,000 thoughts a day, and almost all of those thoughts are happening to us. The way that my brain and body breathes for me, my brain thinks for me. So when I want to change a habit, when I want to develop a new skill, when I want to become a better leader, I need to override the, 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 the habits and the processes that are, that are operating day to day. And I need to put in place new ones. I love James Clear's work about habits. And he says, um, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our habits. And leaders might think we're just talking about going to the gym or building a better relationship with somebody in the family. We're literally talking about everything. So the way you lead each day, the way you're running your operation, the challenges that you're having, if you look a little more closely, you'll see habits all over the place. And when you want to change a habit, you lead your brain and do what you just did. When you shred that index card, you're actually leading your brain to say, I have set out to do something. I've accomplished it. This is how I work. This is how I work best. And your brain goes, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'll help you. Yeah, I have but a little party in my head. It's like, woohoo. Yes. Oh, yes. It's genius how we're designed. And because of this 99.9% .9 autopilot, we have to go after doing things differently and better. And it's not just leaders of teams or leaders of corporations. We're leading ourselves. Every day. Honest, I know. And I honestly think that we get overwhelmed and forget to lead ourselves or maybe don't even know that we are in charge. So yes. what's next? What do I do next? And we can just look at the areas of our lives that we want to improve. And one of the first questions we can ask is, well, what are my habits? Yeah. You know, we heard that culture eats strategy for breakfast. I would say habits are eating your strategy, your desires, your goals. They're eating your culture. Your habits are your culture. You change your habits get intentional. And that means going after them. So you might need to take a class to learn some things, or you might need to uh, take little steps and work up. You may need to get new tools or hang out with different people or uh, become more organized, hire a coach. But when you don't do that, you're basically saying, I have these issues. I have my life, not the way I want it. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna be able to change it because tomorrow I'm going to do the same things I did today. And when do you get sick and tired of it? I had a business coach many years ago, and I've never forgotten her. And she asked, she was listening to me rant, rave, vent. I don't know what I was talking about. I think it was probably just me whining. We do that. And mm -hmm. she very quietly listened. God bless her. And she said, Denise, I said, yes, ma'am, because I knew she was about to say something I probably wasn't going to like. Mm -hmm. And she said, Denise, what are you tolerating? Mm -hmm. Well, that stopped me dead in my tracks. Hmm. So habits are things that, in my opinion, or in my life at any rate, are things that I've been tolerating. Yes. And as a coach, I, I walk a very fine line. One of the ways that I coach that's beneficial is I will come in and bring my program, Top Team Accelerator, that helps the leadership team um, develop in a sequence. And we start out with talking about things that they're doing that aren't helpful, but we talk about it in a way that is okay. It's a judge-free zone. And so if people have felt ashamed or been called on the carpet because of something that they're doing as a leader, it's really hard to change that because that's just not helpful for our brains. 
And I once joined an organization, they brought me in to help with a particular transformation that was global. But while I was there, I almost immediately saw that the leader was not prepared for how to lead. And when we worked together a little bit, they shared that they had a coach that they met with every week for the last two years. And they loved those sessions. They couldn't wait for those coaching sessions. And I gingerly, over the next couple of weeks, asked them, what concrete changes are you implementing as a result of that coaching relationship? And they couldn't even give me one in two years. So in two years, they think that they, the leader thinks that, that they are doing something positive for their day, for their brain, for their life, for their work, for their teams. This person cared a lot about their teams and the success of their teams. And they thought meeting with this coach every week for two years was giving them the, the, the way to help their teams. It shows that they're a great leader, but literally nothing was changing. And so they had a friendly, a very friendly relationship with their coach, but the coach was not asking them to be accountable for change. They weren't. And this is the challenge when you uh, bring in a trainer or you bring in a coach or you hire a consultant they may feel like they have to maintain some status quo because you hired them and they want to stay hired. I developed Top Team Accelerator and my entire coaching program to be honest and clear and direct. And almost from day one, we're always building on the concrete changes that are working that we've implemented and go on to the next. And we're always talking about them. Number one, because I don't want to coach you if you're not having changes that are helping you. And number two, I want you to learn how to do that as a leader. You should not be meeting with your team. And every time you meet, they come away feeling good, but you're not getting any of your goals met. Or there are some... Some are rowing in different directions or they're gossiping and complaining about to each other about each other and they're coming to you to solve their problems. You don't even have time to be the great leader that you always envision. You don't have time to think of new markets or serve more clients. You are putting out fires every day and getting burnt out and you think it's just normal. But the truth is, it's because you don't realize that you don't have systems and processes in place that make it easier for you to be clear and to hold people accountable in a way that feels good to them too. And that does make sense. And in your experience, I'm sure you've come across obstacles like lack of awareness. We've touched on that a little bit. Poor communication among team members and the belief, this gets me, that everyone naturally possesses leadership and teamwork skills. Mm. Well, don't. Mm. Look, I'm a leader. I'm my own leader. Half the time I'm smacking my, I'll raise my left <laughs> hand and smack my, my hand with my right hand and say, bad, Denise, that didn't work. <laughs> so you have to be aware, I think, is what I'm taking away from you. You do, and you have to invest time and space. And so when uh, I, the, so I won't even engage with a leader to, for Top Team Accelerator, the entire program, which can take nine months, maybe a little longer. We will engage for a few months and we will just start to talk about the structure of your team and the situation in the environment that you're in. And we'll do some assessments and we'll fix your meetings. And in that time, we'll work together enough to know if this work would really help you and if you really will be able to do it. So for example, if I come in um, to, well, I did this, I went into a client and they had 20 members of their leadership team. And I, it's amusing to me, although it's very difficult for them, they don't realize if you have a 20 person leadership team, 
you really have three or four people that are leading and the other people are there because it's hard to tell them to not come. It's hard it to not have their yeah. title. Be we, a all part know, of the, yeah. we, we all know that. If you've, ever, out, yeah. if you've ever been part of a, you know, I've, I've worked with nonprofits quite a bit and I've sat on the boards and sat in committees and it's always the same two or three people doing all the work. 100%. All the work, all, all the work. It. And, and, that is also not good for your organizational health because it's not transparent. It, so it teaches people that we do things behind the scenes. And one of the first things I work with clients on is if you can't even have your meetings be with the people that you want, and if you can't even structure your team so that it is away from the politics and away from the fear of missing out, away from this person wants to be here, so we're just going to let them, or this person is such a strong personality, we can't say no. If you haven't even solved for that, to me, I would let a lot, invite you to think of that as an indicator of a hundred other issues that you're having right now. And they all relate back to the same core. They all relate back to the same root cause, which is you don't feel comfortable being really clear, setting boundaries, creating the structure, making sure it's the right structure, and then monitoring it and holding people accountable. And so when I see a team of 20 and the leader tells me, I can't make the team any smaller, then great, I'll help you with your meetings. We'll do some assessments. We'll develop what I call team awareness, uh, help the individuals on the team develop their own self-awareness wherever they're starting from. And then we'll develop some team awareness. And then maybe later we can chat a year from now if they feel like they can make those changes. Because if they can't make that change, there's a lot of other changes that they are struggling to make, which are the ones they need so that they can be in charge. You know, I always had um, a little bit of a pause when I heard about top-down leadership. So youngest child, my whole world was top-down. And so when I went out into the world and I was going to make things better, I wanted to empower people and I wanted teams to feel like they had a voice. And I, I don't want the person at the top to be the one to make all the decisions because what if they're human, which they are? What if they're not great at it, which they might not, uh, that might be the case. But what I learned through my education and experience is this top-down leadership is not about bossiness. It's about taking responsibility and being clear. If your company should all be rowing in the same direction and you haven't fixed your leadership team at the top to get all of them rowing in the same direction and behaving in the ways that model the what you want for your culture for everyone else to watch, then you're actually not helping and you're not being able to do your job. It's You, you haven't empowered anybody and they don't actually love the work that they're doing or the place that they're at and their productivity is not nearly as great and the behaviors are not helpful. All of that happened because you were trying to not be top town when what you really need is to be clear, have alignment and let people know how it's going. Gotcha. And I wanted to apologize for interrupting you. I didn't mean to do that, but I was in a role, on a roll, and I just kept talking. So I'm so sorry. But when you say top down, I always get this kind of mental image. It's like, the boss in the corner, you know, you finally get to the corner office. He's got the big windows. He, yeah. The door is closed. He's got a secretary or a, a, an assistant, whatever it is, you know, outside being the gatekeeper. And I always come across thinking, okay, that's the guy who says, just do what I told and, you know, do what I tell you, you know, when it gets hurt, which that's also a person 
that it's also the person who promotes middle managers to create a buffer. Right. So middle managers might be, uh, they might, they, they have no idea how to lead either. Their, they, their journey was hit or miss, just like this CEO or this leader in the corner. And these middle managers have to play this role of keeping the difficulties, all of the firefighting and all of that from seeping in to the upper ranks. But here's the challenge with that. The leader in the corner office on some level doesn't feel good about it. Even if they're not, even if they're not conscious about it, but this is how the brain and intuition and the whole conscious and unconscious, this is back to that psychology. They on some level know that they are not succeeding or they feel that they are not doing the organizational behavior justice. You can't bring a bunch of people together and then treat them like you can treat the technology or the furniture because they their bodies and brains can't do that. They are alive. They are having feelings. They are wanting to learn. They are struggling with a mismatch, being in a meeting and saying, wait, I'm supposed to do this. I thought the leader was going after this over here. So that person in the corner office, when they come in and work with a cult, work with me to be able to put in the systems and processes in place to teach them how to lead what we're talking about and get everybody rowing in the same direction, increase their productivity, their teamwork, all of that, they are shocked to find, number one, that it's possible. They didn't know that. So they've been keeping it at a distance from knowing that because if it's possible and I'm not doing it, I must be a problem. No, they don't know that it's possible because others aren't talking about it either. So number one, they find out it's possible. And number two, once they start to develop some successes, they feel so much better. And the other thing that I have encountered, of course, is when they start to get into this and they start to uh, get really clear about what their people are going, should be going after and what the environment is right now and the culture, there are some people on the bus that may have to exit the bus. And it may be that the leader, him or herself, is not cut, it is not equipped at this point in time, given maybe a whole lot of factors, to do this work. That's okay. They can do it later or uh, there are other options. And so when I'm working with clients, most of them are so excited, especially after the first few wins, when they see that they can put changes into place that are uh, that will go into the future, fixing your meetings, number one, um, having a better sense of self-awareness and team awareness with each other, number two, once they start to have those little wins, they realize it's possible and they get really hungry for fixing a whole bunch of other problems. And to that point, let me just say that the clients that I work with, they struggle with all the same challenges that everyone else does with the world that we live in right now. The markets and the economy and the uh, what's happening globally and five generations in the workplace and coming out of sheltering in place and having to figure out hybrid and all of that, diversity and inclusion, how to become a diverse and inclusive culture and organization to benefit from all of that greatness. They're not getting to those issues because number one, they think, oh, everybody has that and nobody's solving it. And number two, they can't even get to those issues for their own company because they're always putting out fires. They're always having meetings that aren't productive and everyone's burnt out. So when you start to have some successes and you fix your meetings, and you start to have clarity and alignment together, burnout starts to go down. You start to really learn about each other on the leadership team. You do some assessments and make some decisions about who's the right person to do this piece or how can we help this team? Things start to feel better. You have just freed up time and space and energy to go off into half days and all days 
and not talk about the fires and not keep solving the same problems. Now you get to talk about your strategy for your workforce. Now you get to talk about a new market and you get to enjoy spending all day with the brain trust of the leader in that group because you are not on your phones and you're not being pulled away because people don't know how to solve their problems or they're not clear. Now you truly can be creative, innovative. Your people have the ability to do that. You have the ability to do that, but you haven't had time or space because you've been fighting fires. And that leads me to collaboration. Yes. Is, yeah. is that something that people are just naturally resistant to? They are the there. Oh, please go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, what's the deal there? Because I see it all the time. Collaboration is an example of an activity or an abdict, a lack of an activity that doesn't develop when you work on quote unquote collaboration, when you work on quote unquote trust, you put these building blocks in place sequentially and follow those best practices that have been around for four decades. And all of a sudden collaboration starts to take shape, trust starts to form. I was brought in to help a medical device company who was doing a global transformation. It had been nine months and they weren't getting anywhere. And the the project or program, because it was so big, but it was really a project, was so fraught with politics and infighting and gossip and complaining that the people who had been tabbed to be on the program because they were so high, such high performers and this was such an important program, those people were starting to say, can I come off this project? Can I go back to my other job? Can I go on to this new team? Because they were so impacted by these leaders not succeeding together and thinking well, we're global and we're in this high, you know, stress uh, industry. And uh, well, we have this one leader or this one situation that's getting in our way. Well, they brought me in to say, can you help us figure out how to gain some traction? And one of the first things I learned was they were not even clear about the direction they were supposed to be headed. And when I asked, so I did some interviews before I pulled them all together for a couple days conference. When I asked them to talk about each other, they really couldn't say a lot. They didn't know a lot about each other. They only knew that the other person was the problem or the other department was the problem. So when we came together, I organized activities that might seem like they are not rocket science. They might seem like they are marshmallowy, kumbaya, but really it's very strategic for people to understand who's on the team and what the situation is once we got through some of those assessments and activities, they immediately gelled. They immediately started to collaborate, but we didn't work on collaboration. Trust started to to form, but we didn't work on trust. And within 48 hours, they had developed the first draft plan and schedule to move into the future, which they hadn't done in the last nine months. And what it took was developing themselves as a team, and they had missed that important building block. Well, it's difficult to trust people that you simply do not know. I don't know. It's unreasonable to say, well, you know, trust me, I'm an expert. Yeah. Do you like cats? Do you like dogs? What what do what do I not know about you? And what do you bring to the table? So I I'm just going to walk around all day and worry about my needs. I have to. That's how we're hardwired. I'm keeping myself alive. I need to think about myself first. I can intentionally think about others, but my autopilot is I'm I'm, I'm I got to get this working and I got to do that. And so if I come to know you, as a person, and I come to know what you're concerned about, 
and what your team's work is and how does that fit in with what I'm doing, then I my brain starts to lean in. The brain is what's helping us keep distance from other people. And so we're bringing the brain in because we what we did in that um, two-day conference was some seven times seven ways. We had different activities that ended in the result of people started to know each other. They started to trust each other. They started to collaborate and they started to want to collaborate because now they had their eyes on the prize at the same time. And when people don't have their eyes on the prize, they're not getting up in the morning going, today I'm not gonna be focused on the leader's goals or today, I am going to be resistant. No, they're just getting up and going along because the environment is allowing them to be outliers. It's allowing them to be isolated. The environment is allowing them to feel disconnected. Pull people in very, very strategically. It is structure. It's those systems and processes. And you will start to see those outliers come into the fold and be a part of this well-oiled machine. And I, I have to say, you know, conversations are so important. I was talking with somebody from the Netherlands the other day, and he was saying that the he was with his wife, I think, in, in Germany. They were at a, a very nice hotel. They were having brunch or breakfast on on the terrace. And he gave the coupon to the server because he had a coupon for a free meal, which is, sounded pretty neat. They were in a little palace, but it sounded like, okay, coupon palace. My brain kind of glitched at that, but it was a fascinating story. And a woman next door at the next table said, oh, where can I get a coupon? I want one. They started having a big conversation. They didn't know each other. They were never going to meet each other in the normal way of events. And they wound up working with multi, multi hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of ongoing work. My point is that conversations and getting to know one another at some level is critical. It's just- It is, and those are the metrics. Those are the successes that they're missing until they do that. So right. you might, you, you you could be forgiven for thinking that this person who sounds grumpy in meetings and who doesn't follow through the last three things they said they were going to do, you could be forgiven to say, this person is a low performer. Do put those systems and processes in place, fix your meetings and free up time and space. So you're not burnt out all the time and tethered to the meetings you get to tap into each other's creativity. You get to combine your your innovation and your ability to do your skills and your ability to, to be tenacious and get things done. And all of a sudden, you've just gone up the mountain. You've just gone higher up the mountain on outcomes. Your, your KPIs, your return on investment, it, it starts to be exponential because you have brought into the process more. It's math. When we don't know each other, we are obviously silos. When we come in, we grow the uh, abilities by all of the parts that are um, involved. And I see that with clients every single day. It's a delightful surprise when the people they've known sometimes for years they all of a sudden see them differently. They see them as productive, uh, highly, uh, highly dedicated leaders and team members who are helping with success. And they didn't know that because they didn't have the information and they're not in it. Once they get in it, it, it starts to move a lot faster because of what you just said. After that conversation with those two tables, things happen and happen pretty quickly. This is what yeah. happens in organizations. They think, oh no, this is going to take us five years because look where we're at and look how long it's been. No, you start to pull in together and it can go very quickly. 
And I have seen it happen. I mean, many times, you know, personally, I've seen it happen. So you have mentioned systems and processes multiple times, and I keep writing it down. When you're talking about systems and processes, can you share maybe one or two how you do that? Sure. Sure. So I have Top Team Accelerator has four pillars and they go in sequence of how we develop and learn and how we fan out to help the broader organization. And the first one is teamwork. So within teamwork, we start with getting to know one another and we meet you where you are on your self-awareness and we grow that. So the uh, most effective leader is one that has a high level of self-awareness. And I define self-awareness as aware of what my behaviors and actions and communication, what impact that has on others. And I'm aware of the behaviors and communication that others have on me. What do I do when someone says A, B, or C? Oh, I react and it's not positive. So we grow that self-awareness from wherever you're standing because everybody's grown some, some more than others. And then we develop what's called team awareness so that we each can speak for the team. We each can say the same thing about um, the road that we're heading and where we're supposed to be going. And we do do this through assessments and we do it through open conversations. I educate them on some of the psychology and behavior and communications, and then we practice. So that's teamwork. That's number one. Number two is commitment. And commitment is the combination of increasing clarity and then developing alignment. So your team is struggling with boats going off in different directions because someone is either willfully ignoring what they're supposed to be doing or they don't know. And so I'm the leader. I set the agenda and my priorities should be where all the boats are headed. When you've got boats going off in different directions, you're disorganized and everything after that doesn't go as well. Now you might have tiger teams or groups that are working on highly secret or innovative things that aren't meeting these goals. That's great. That's just a part of your goals. But if you've identified three key things for this year and you've got teams that are just sort of doing other things or doing the same thing, they're each working on the same part and they didn't know that, or they're frustrated because they, they, they no one's holding one or the other accountable, you have issues. So increase that clarity. And we do a lot of um, education around uh, being clear. We do uh, offsites to raise clarity by being clear about the what and the who. And then we talk about the how and the, then leaders and their leadership the, and their own teams that form the leadership team, they need to get on board. They need to be really clear. They need to advocate for themselves. They need to talk about their own teams, agendas and what's really happening. Do they have the right workforce? But at some point they need to get on board and be a part of that alignment. And in the future, the leader will have developed habits for how to check on that. Nobody's gonna get any of this right day one. It's all a process. These processes are about helping the brain learn and develop habits. They're not gonna get it right the first time, some things will fix very quickly and some will take longer. But now you've put in place expectations. Be clear about what my goals are and I'm gonna keep reminding you because now I'm a leader that understands the importance of over-communication. I'm gonna keep reminding you of it and then I'm going to hold you accountable for the pieces that are yours to do. And then the third piece is accountability. And this is today's operations. Are your operations today the ones from three years ago? Do they even meet those goals? And to everyone within the sound of my voice, your meetings are terrible. And that is one of the easiest problems to fix. Uh, Forbes calls it an 85 billion dollar problem in the US alone. You don't have to have unproductive meetings. You don't have to have the same people talking over and over again. You don't have to have the dread of looking forward, of having meetings and having way too many meetings. And anything we do to fix your meetings 
None of it's rocket science. You've heard it all before, but you either outsourced it or you tried it and you didn't stick to it because you went back to firefighting or you don't even understand that it's so strategic and that there's an art and science to it. We put those systems into place and then we monitor and we solve the problems for the people that aren't doing the things that we uh, said you can do to set up better meetings. And very quickly, people... They breathe. They have fewer meetings on their calendar. They look forward to meetings because they know they'll get something done. And they, they're they glad that it wasn't as hard as they thought it was going to be. And then the fourth pillar, and now it's been several months, the fourth pillar is about performance. Performance pulls it all together. And it we it have implemented metrics around behavior. So if you have 100 metrics that your leadership team is watching, nobody can watch all of that. This is just this is psychology, but it's also anatomy. You just physically can't do that. So if you have a dashboard that has 100 KPIs on it, you've done great work to develop this really cool dashboard, but people can't use it in the way that you intended. And are any of those metrics behaviors? Most of the clients I work with, they're not tracking anything about behaviors. So if a leader says, I can't believe they gossip, <laughs> they come to me and gossip or they gossip to their own teams about the leadership team. Well, have you talked about it openly a few times? And then do you have a metric? Uh, they come to you to solve problems instead of working together. Do you have a metric about that? Do you have a metric about over-communication? Every leader needs to over-communicate because these brains need you to say something and in different ways more often than once. And so all of those metrics, we start to get a really short list that anybody can recite in the elevator. And at any given time, these leaders know how everything is going and they know it together. An example of how this fits is I was brought in one time to help with a transformation, a national rollout for a new service. And they didn't bring me in to do leadership development or team development. They just brought me in to help with the change process. And within a few weeks, I noticed that everybody was rowing in different directions. So we, uh, I scheduled a meeting and met with this very small leadership team and they each had all their own team. So there were four people on this leadership team, the leader and three leaders that reported to that leader and each of them had their own teams. These four people shared cube walls. They were friends. They had worked side by side on this transformation for a year, every single day, laughing and joking, maybe going to lunch sometimes. Somebody had a birthday barbecue and they all went. They had such goodwill and such good spirits about each other and they weren't getting any traction on their rollout. And leadership was starting to be worried. And so when we did just a couple of activities, I did some interviews and we did some activities. Imagine me hitting my forehead with the palm of my hand right now. Each one of them was surprised to find out that each of the four told a different story about what the transformation was, what the timing was supposed to be, and what they should be doing. They had no idea that they were telling a different story because right. they didn't over communicate and they didn't check. They didn't check for understanding in your household or in your immediate day or week. If you've got someone that you are in connection with often and you don't check for understanding, we just heard the same thing. Did you hear the way I heard it? If you don't do that. I will tell you nine times out of 10, you did hear it differently because you're your own process. So these leadership teams, they're operating with different stories every single day. Imagine 10 different stories, each one of them every day. So when we can come in and put systems in place that reinforce the story and the same story, and then processes to check 
Are we still saying the same thing? Do we have the same view? Is your team really now rowing in this direction? Do you have what we need? Those systems and processes comprise to have, you're essentially a different company months into this process. And see, as you're talking about this, I'm listening, I'm writing notes, and I'm I'm really understanding what you're saying. And I have to tell you, I'm shocked because it's common sense, or is it? Well, as so I grew up in a culture where we said things like, you're lazy, you don't have common sense, come on, you could be smarter than that. And as a youngest child, everybody was talking that way. So I was like the last one, it all rolls downhill. So I developed uh, the way that I coach is I try to never say you should have known this or you could have known this. I don't even say you already know this, although sometimes they do, they're just not putting it into action. What I say is, we're gonna to start today. And no matter where you are, if you're an entrepreneur and you had fast growth, if you're a spinoff and, and you kind of wanna think of yourself as a blank canvas, or if you really are a, a, a new company that's been full, that, that is being started and you have a lot of opportunity to set up that canvas, you then put these systems and processes in place and learn about them. And I just assume that you don't know anything. Not because I don't think you're bright, but because any good educator will assume, let's say I'm in front of a classroom of 30 people. I just absolutely assume that there are different styles in the room. There are different ways of learning in the room. There are different levels of experience in the room. And there are different levels of ways of processing information. A leader does that with their team as well. It's the same thing. A leader walks around being a bit of an educator and a communicator and a coach, all of these things. And so when someone doesn't know something or they know it, but they're not acting on it, let's just start with today and let's give you the information that you need. Let us set you up for success. And then let me observe and we'll learn how to monitor together. And then let's go after the stubborn challenges that are still not taking hold. And I think of it the way over my lifetime, I've had an opportunity to go to therapy to make my life better. And there is there are different kinds of therapy. And I've had two different kinds that I have found both helpful. One is more psychoanalysis. We're going to do a deeper dive and we're going to try to understand the history of a certain issue. And we're going to do some root cause analysis and then see if we can address some of the issues so that that particular aspect of my life will improve. Okay, that's one way. Another way is a behaviorist might say, well, let's just start with behaving differently. Let's just behave our way into a change. Let's just start with successful actions that we know lead to better outcomes for somebody else. So you want to have, let's say I want to have a, um, um, I want to be less triggered when somebody um, calls me on the carpet or something. So, so let's just start today with planning for when that's going to happen and what I'm going to do. Whereas psychoanalysis, we're going to do some root cause analysis. I'm going to try to figure out where does that come from, a particular adult in my life that was hard on me, and then what can we do about that to kind of solve it once and for all on a deeper level. This is the way it is with learning at work as well. So when we come in and we set up these systems and processes, some of it immediately resolves. They just haven't had it up to now. And even if they knew it, even if they were aware that they should have it, they actually didn't know how to pull it all together. And by the way, they're so busy and bogged down and burnt out. And they think there's no light at the end of the tunnel. 
So we immediately fix your meetings. We immediately um, develop clarity and alignment. We immediately put the kind of operations and metrics into place that tell you the right story so you can uh, put your focus where it needs to be, not on everything. And then that has now freed up time and energy for the stubborn challenges that won't fix right away. So let's say your meetings are not fixing right away. We're going to go after, we now have time to, to focus on that and say, oh, I wonder why. Let's do some root cause analysis. Let's do some practicing. Let's interview some people. Let's use the tools that we have to try to understand this and make, and then, you know, solve for it and then make the changes so that the leader feels good about the learning process. If they go into a shame spiral, their brain shuts down. Oh yeah. They can't learn. They can't become a better leader if they're just picking on themselves or feeling like I'm picking on them. So I have to walk, I have to create this environment where it is okay to learn how to do this differently. And it's helpful that I am sometimes very optimistic about anybody's chances for something to be new and different. I've been called that. You, you, you're always rooting for people and you think that they can develop even better than they are. And that's true. And so I've developed a way for leaders to actually do it. Because if I came in and coached you and nothing changed, I, my shoulders would be sagging. I would be so sad. I would go back to a different role in corporate America and not help leaders because if I'm not helping, how does that help you and everybody else? So I am optimistic about your ability to make these changes and I'm right there to help you with that. And I was just going to ask you what some of your core values or principles are that guide you in your work, in your life. And I think you got ahead of me there. Well, and I would say, so each of those persons in that organization represents 5, 10, 15 people that they are directly impacting out in the world. I want the world to be a better place. We all can do our part. And for me, my part is making organizations function better so that the people inside feel more productive and more successful. I can tell you in my own journey, uh, as I started to do work in corporate America, I thought if I just call out to people what their issues are, they're going to want to solve them right away. No, actually, I got fired more than once for being, for being a clear, what, what I would call at the time, very descriptive, thinking you don't have what it takes to be a leader. I'm gonna share with you how you can do that better. Oh, talk about naive. So then I had to learn along the way that number one, we, we're dealing with anatomy. So my value is be realistic about the learning process. And so I had to learn along the way how to, uh, so so there I am being fired for being what I thought was a truth teller. So there are other people in the organization, they're either being fired for being truth tellers or they're not being fired because they stopped telling the truth. So their, 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 their head is low. They're, they're, they're keeping their head down and doing the bare minimum and it's mediocrity all over the place. And I've also had um, several, what I would call, I'm just gonna say it out loud, bad bosses terrible bosses, toxic individuals who are doing terrible things to the people under their care. And the senior leaders either don't know it or they are somehow keeping them, themselves distant. And that represents the pain and the difficulty and the lack of quality of life for every person impacted by that and all those other people that they impact. So my values are about, we can do this better because most people go to work. So we can help the world by just um, helping where people are at work. And then my personal values also are full transparency. So I'm always honest. I'm always running back into a store to say you undercharged me or you, you, you forgot to, to bill me for the, you forgot to, you know, my ice cream's not on the bill. 
I am very clear that honesty is just a faster, smoother life. I sleep much better. And then I assume positive intent. And that is because I do understand the learning process. So if I'm coming into a company and they've hired me to help with the change process, one of the first things they're going to say is, we want your resistance management plan. We know that people are resisting and we have to do something about it. I know in my heart, there's not resistance. There's the brain doing what it does. And when you set up the path for them to get the seven times seven ways and to be trained and to be ready, then people stop looking like they're resisting because they're actually just engaged in the way that you expect them to. And they're going to learn to go through this. So my value is I assume positive intent. They're not trying to resist on purpose. Nobody wants to be mediocre. And so let's do the best we can to help them do the best they can. Margie, this is fascinating. I, normally, I always take a lot of notes when I'm chatting with somebody on the podcast right now. And this is kind of a new thing for me. I've got four pages that I'm going to have to work my way through. And some of them, like I, I mentioned earlier, I keep writing the same thing down over and over again because they're so important. But you know, thank you for firing my brain up. But I wanted to ask you, what are some of the current trends or developments in your field? How are they impacting your particular work or your industry? Are you, I guess, if I wanted to simplify that a bit, are you seeing bold changes? Are they just kind of happening organically as you work with people? I think that, first of all, the world of consulting and coaching is in the same situation as everybody else. And they're probably, some are probably hunkering down a little bit more and trying to not get fired and trying to be retained. And that is not the same as truth telling and helping people be successful. And I know for organizations, they, because of all these, this other dysfunction, the lack of organization, the lack of teamwork, the lack of productivity, they do not think it's possible to do anything about the um, some of the other big issues. And it's unfortunate because number one, they have no choice. They, they can't avoid it and avoid and avoid. If you say diversity and inclusion is a value of yours and you recognize the benefit to ROI, the benefit to productivity, the benefit to the world, um, then, and you're not making it happen because you're firefighting and burnt out, you're missing it. You're missing it. You can do better at in your organization and free up the intellectual capital to solve some of these issues. So I feel like people are bad, they're kind of battered down. I will also say, let's talk psychology for a moment. Every one of those leaders is also a human. Even right. if they were trained to leave their, their, their humanness at the door, they have it all day long. They, they can sound like they don't. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about that. They'd rather talk about this new offering that they have or some cool thing they developed or they've improved at pickleball. But the truth is they are human. And people have been in through a lot of whiplash, emotional whiplash the last several years. And we probably came into the last several years with some baggage because we'd had some challenges before. So we come into the whole world changing with a global pandemic. And now leaders are saying, uh-oh. First of all, they thought the boomers were going to um, retire. And then they were worried we're not going to get rid of them because they're staying. Well, now they're saying, I wish you would stay. We have five generations in the workplace and they think and I can understand this. They think you have to write a book about how to do that. The truth is you follow these other principles and you will be doing that. So once you get your house in order and you're setting up some of these systems and processes and you're starting to um, become who you can be, 
you together will be able to figure out what to do with five generations. You might not write a book about it or tell everybody else to do it because what works for you may not work for them. But right now you're so bogged down, you're even coming up with your own strategies that include a lot of creativity and trial and error because you just don't have time and space for that. So you'll be able to chip away at what to do about remote and in person if you can focus on it for a while and do some trial and error. And then I would say the way I coach, I need to be in person sometimes. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this experiment where 12 people are in a conference room and they're doing math problems. They do not share their answers. Nobody cheats. But but the average score for the result of that quiz is much higher when they're together. There is an energetic exchange that improves for many people, their thinking processes, their ability to succeed. So we cannot be only remote. It is, we're social beings. We're, we're, we, we need to be in person for the casual creativity and development that happens naturally. So I make sure that I come in person sometimes um, as, as your coach and some of it is remote. If someone's doing their work all remotely, if a coach is not telling them what they're missing when they don't have in-person exchanges, I think the coach is, is missing out too. Because um, I once heard uh, the Build-A-Bear, the former CEO, she, she created the company Build-A-Bear and she talks about how do you know how to develop a workplace and be in a workplace if you've never been in a workplace? How your workplace is the place where you, she grew her business in ways that she couldn't have done it had they been remote. They happened upon ideas. They did trial and error. They worked together in a way that started to develop a rhythm and uh, uh, an ability to trust and collaborate that I'm sorry, it doesn't happen remotely. So I would say, we're gonna continue to figure this out. And when you get this other work in place, you'll figure it out for your own company. I love that. And listen, I am a highly committed introvert. Everybody knows this, but when I do need to be around other people, my creativity does soar. Yes. And I know this. Now, I do need to be left alone 98% of the time. Sure. But when I'm ready, I'm ready and I'm all in. What I'm hearing from you mostly, Margie, is passion. And I think so many of us just lose our passion for whatever reason. Maybe we're being kind of stunted in the workplace. Maybe we just don't know what we don't know. And that's very important. But until or unless we we pursue passion and discover and rediscover passion, I'm not sure we're going to get too, too far in whatever it is that we're doing. And it's hard to feel passionate when you're burnt out or bogged right. down. And so if you, when you can um, do concretely put steps in place to help that, your your inner passion will start to come through. It does. Listen, Margie, I have really appreciated your company today. And I would love, I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm not even sure I can read some of my notes. I was scribbling so fast and so furious. But tell people where they can find you, where they can connect with you online, and what your preferred means of contact is. My website is olson-consulting.com. You'll find all kinds of resources out there that you can uh, work with today. Olson is O-L-E-S-O-N-consulting. And then I'm on LinkedIn, margie.olesson. And I post content every single day that talks about fixing your meetings and being more clear and leadership um, uh, recommendations. All of that is out there every single day. And you can download a case study from my website and uh, see all of these pieces, these pillars, moved into action and companies that benefited from them. 
And listen to everybody. You don't have to be a giant corporation or a large, no. largest or small company. You can be like me, who is a solopreneur. I still need this information because right. I am my own bottleneck 89% of the time or more. Anyway, well, listen, Margie, thank you so much for being with me here today. And as we conclude today's episode, your feedback means a lot to me. So if you found the show helpful, please support us with a quick review on iTunes. Your input is really vital to my mission to inspire and empower, excuse me, more individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, and share your partner in Success Radio with friends and colleagues. And be sure to go find Margie Olson on the web and connect with her. Margie, thank you again. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, Denise. Take care. You too. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.